Like, we, we've been here for 10 minutes and there's not even a good cold open in this yet. Maybe not having a good cold open is our cold open. <laughs> We're back again with that one episode of Star Trek. Yay! Since the last three weeks have not been a disaster enough, uh, we're watching Disaster tonight from Next Generation. Wait, three weeks? Three weeks, three episodes, whatever. Same thing. <laughs> it's not we're on a two-week schedule here. Look, does time actually have any meaning for you at this point? Yes, it does! Yeah, he has to work. It's it not for arbitrary. Me. Time has no clocks meaning. clocks and watches. <laughs> Look, it doesn't really matter, because, like, when you get right down to it, time is the fire in which we burn. It doesn't really matter if it's, you know, three weeks or three months. I don't know the difference anymore, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm having trouble keeping track on our uh, every other week schedule for this, too. Like, is it a recording week this week, or am I supposed to post an episode this week? Oh, it's yeah. easy to remember. The, day, the weeks that I work on a Monday, that's the week that we record. So just remember that. Although I do realize I forgot to publicly post the uh, episode that was supposed to come out this week. I was supposed haven't to do that yesterday. That? Haven't you done that before? Yeah, I did that for the previous episode. <laughs> this one's going to be even later because that one I got up on a Tuesday, but it's too late to do it on Tuesday this week. Uh, whoops. So I guess that's going to be a Wednesday posting. Literally ones of people will be upset. Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, what are you going to do? I should probably start, like, setting that up, like, the Saturday or Sunday before, so that when I do eventually remember to do it, I just have to go click a button. You just go ahead and release it at the same time it releases on Patreon. That'd and see if anybody time notices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I remember, I'm supposed to post in the cards to the public feed this week. Oops. Guess that <laughs> wasn't in the cards. Ho, oh, oh. ho! Oh. Uh, yeah. This is the wordplay that people tune in for. That and calling your mom a slut. Yeah, I feel like we've kind of gotten away from that. It's hard to get away from your mom. The gravity and all. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a lot of energy to climb out of that gravity well. Your mom is a gravity unwell. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's a disaster. Well, yeah, it says so right at the beginning. And yet... It was more fun to watch than last week's. Or last, last week. episodes. Last two weeks. Two weeks ago. You know what? We just what? did this. Last Fortnite? <laughs> yes. No, I don't play Fortnite. Me either. We're too old. Very much so. I just don't like playing with people. I just don't like people. That's okay, because you'd be playing with children, and they're, 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 they're not They're not people, people yeah. No, they're, they're worse. They're better at video games than you. Children are worse than people. They're children. You would really suck is to be stuck in an elevator with a bunch of children. Not even a bunch, just like two or three. Well, do we ha oh, we have the episode for you. <laughs> so, we start off in Tin Forward where O'Brien is getting his pregnant wife a drink. <laughs> <sighs> Miles wants to name it after his father, Potatoes. The drink? Uh, and then Keiko wants to name after her father, Sushi. 
they, 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 they did pick the, the, like, the, the, mo the most generic. Like <laughs> the most generic stereotypical names for each nationality. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is worse because Keiko's actress is Korean. <laughs> but Keiko is not Korean. No. So you couldn't do this anymore because nowadays actors can't pretend to play somebody that they're not. It's not allowed. I mean, there was a whole, like, field of actors who never played anything that they weren't. They were called character actors, and they just were hired to be themselves on screen and read lines. Oh, like like Tom Cruise. Yeah, or Keanu. Well, eh. <laughs> I don't know. Most of it, most Tom Cruise's characters are psychotic. <laughs> yeah, he's just playing Tom Cruise. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, sometimes he plays somebody with tolerance. So, O'Brien wants to name the baby Michael after his father. Keiko wants to name it Hero after her, her father. Riker wants to name it William after the father. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pity the writers didn't, like, think a little bit more into the scene and have somebody uh, come back at Riker saying, why don't we name it Kyle after your father? <laughs> <laughs> then Riker just, like, tugs down on his uniform and leaves in a huff. <laughs> Leaves in some BMX gear. <laughs> oh, that was a stupid episode. Did we podcast that one? I think we did. Yeah, we probably. I mean, I have a spreadsheet for this. I just don't feel like opening it up to look at it. Doesn't matter because we're not picking an episode right now anyway. So uh, Keiko offers for Data to feel her up. <laughs> well, Data does kind of ask when everybody else is doing it. But the best thing about this part of the scene is Worf, who for some reason is just like huddled up with the crowd of main characters here and Keiko. Um, not interacting with the scene in any way. He's just yeah, he's standing just there kinda... uncomfortably like fiddling oh. with his sash and looking mostly uncomfortable. Oh, I absolutely know exactly what Worf is doing there in this scene. Worf is me. Yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> Worf feels like me in a social situation. <laughs> <laughs> when like, you're at work and somebody's pregnant and they're like everyone's all ooing and aahing and caring and you're stuck there because like you can't walk away to be rude but you yeah. really don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, like like you don't want to act like you don't, you like you don't want to act like you don't care, but you don't care. You just it's just so you I just guess... stand around and fill in the background of your group of friends. I guess yeah. for me, it's not really such a, like, pointed thing, because, like, in any social situation, I'm just standing there filling in background. Yeah. Your arm fills in the foreground. And the mid-ground. And the high it's ground. And the low ground. Background. And the green grass grows all around. Your mom. What? Meanwhile, <laughs> in Cargo Bay, whatever. I don't even know what they said. Probably not. Because nobody uh, was looking for them later. Crusher is awkwardly uh, hitting up Jordy for sex. <laughs> it's not. Oh, as good. Speaking it of social me, awkward situations, like she is just like haranguing him to go get on a stage and sing in front of his shipmates, not paying any attention to how uncomfortable even the idea of that is making him. Like there's the, there's the whole thing in Deep Space Nine about you know being O'Brien is suffering. Jordy was the prototype of that. <laughs> yeah. Star yeah. At least O'Brien got laid. Think about engineers. Yeah, Star Trek has a thing against engineers. Apparently, if you're an engineer, your life is just gonna be shit. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Look at Bolana. She had to marry Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Worse. Worse. She had to sleep with Tom. 
So she convinces Jory to start singing uh, some Rodgers and Hammerstein bullshit. And Emily critiques him as being a little pitchy. <laughs> but she says she can fix that, which I assume to mean, like, in the 24th century, they have, like, magic stuff they can set around the set, and it will just automatically, like, you know, produce in real time as someone yeah, Instead of fixing it in post, you know, you just yeah. fix it on the fly. <laughs> yeah. The translator has auto-tune. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, it's really advanced, you know, blinky, beepy future auto-tune, but yeah, it's basically just, like, auto-tune in real life. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Troy's introducing Captain Picard to three precocious little shits. <laughs> All right, so oh, we've got, I thought I got uh, rid of Oz. Marissa, <laughs> who is cosplaying as Kimberly the Pink Ranger. Yeah. You've got Jay Gordon, who has too many f***ing names. <laughs> and we've got Radish Kid, who f***ing sucks. Uh, and does not have a first name, apparently. He's just Patterson. Yeah, he's, he's Radish Kid. I guess he's just preparing for his inevitable life in service to the Federation, where he will only ever be referred to by a last name. <laughs> Maybe his name is Pat Urson. Hmm. So they've won a science contest, and I guess they've produced the most amount of science of the kids in the ship. And so they've won a tour of the place where they live. Can we see the battle bridge? No. That set's been broken down. Yeah. What about the torpedo bay? No, that set hasn't been built yet. You get to see hydroponics. And astrophysics. And the hallway. <laughs> you get to see hydroponics and astrophysics which just coincidentally happen to be the same room layout with different details also we're going to have to you know, stop for about three hours while they change out the, the set dressing <laughs> you know the thing that bugs me about this part of this subplot we never find out what the girls science project was that's what bugs you yes her outfit bugs me more than anything else because ah, she well, looks like the pink ranger. Well, that's that's yeah, not the, the white boots. That's not the uh, only time that turns up in Star Trek either. They reuse that a few times when they have children around. That's unfortunate. Extremely. All right, so Picard awkwardly stumbles through. Okay, so what did you f do to win this contest? Radish kid made weird radishes. Jay Gordon made something about moths. Um, he's never getting laid ever. <laughs> you all look at the haircut they gave him. And uh, Kimberly uh, made a presentation on being irritatingly shy, which means she looks at her feet a lot. Maybe she's just really into her boots. But thank God they're all about to die. Uh, the turbo lift starts shaking, the lights flicker, they bounce from side to side, and this is going on all over the ship. So I, I'd like to stop here for a second. Please. Okay. Um, so Picard helpfully points out in the turbo lift scene, we're falling! Um, which I think kind of calls into question, like, the practicality of how the turbo lifts actually work. Because, like, every deck on the Enterprise is supposed to generate its own artificial gravity. Or, you know, the floor is gravity plating. They, they say as much at some point. Um, so you would think the turbo lifts deck plating would also be generating its own gravity isolated from the gravity of the other decks. In which case, there would be no gravity specifically in the turbo shaft. That, like, it should be being moved on a linear system, like, you know, a monorail. 
But no, they lose power, and so the thing falls, so obviously there must be some gravity at the bottom of it, which is just, like, the stupidest way to do this, because, like, then the turbo lift can fall. Well, see, here's what you're missing here, is that it's not that there's gravity in the turbo lift shaft, is that there's been a disaster, and things aren't working correctly. It's not supposed to fall, but it is. But if there was no gravity at the bottom of the lift shaft, it couldn't fall. It would be a completely fail-safe system. Yeah, but now there suddenly is gravity, and there should not be. And and if there was no gravity in the turbo lift shaft, you know, as the turbo lift is stuck there and not working, they could just like climb out and get free of the turbo lift's gravity field and just float up to an open door and get out that way. It would have been like a completely better scene. Right, but that's if the the, the non gravity situation was working as intended. But instead, there's been a disaster, and now there is gravity there, and that's a problem. <sighs> Look. The way they had these turbo lifts figured out for this show is stupid, and that's all I wanted to get at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the 80s. They should have had turbo lifts on the outside of the ship, like they had on hotels back then. This was 1991. Yeah, I was about to say it was 90s by this point. The turbo lifts were built in, like, 88 or 87. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess you got me there. <laughs> but, uh, just imagine, like, a starship with, like, you know, the turbo lifts on the outside of it, you know. Like glass wall turbo lifts. On the one hand, that would be kind of awesome looking, especially like when you're in orbit of a planet. Of course, like in that case, you end up in the unlucky situation of wherever you have to go is on the side facing away from the planet. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, what I'm thinking though is like in in terms of stupid turbo lift design in Star Trek, Deep Space Nine really wins and. I guess it's consistent with the setting, but like in season one, they mention how some of the exposed panels inside the turbo lift shaft are um, live with electricity and you probably should not like touch them even if the thing is holding still. Also setting aside the fact that like the turbo lift itself is not enclosed originally and you can see the outside whizzing by. So if you were kind of careless, you'd probably just get scraped up the wall. Is there only one turbo lift in DS9? No, Ops has at least two. Okay, well, is that, but is that the only, I can't remember it going anywhere other than the promenade. No, they, um, they enter and exit from turbo lifts on the docking ring and the habitat ring. Like, they, they exit, they enter and exit from the corridor set, I should say. All right, so the ship's up. Ah, yes. Um, the lights are out, the red lights are on, um, so everybody's having a bad time. Up on the bridge. Uh, it's Troy and O'Brien, uh, Ensign Joe, and Ensign Becky. And it did. No, not yet. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, no, uh, see, right now everything's kind of messed up because, you know, they, they had a shaking and the light's going off. But, like, things seem to still be basically, like, working. It's not a huge problem yet. So, Ensign Becky goes to sit down at Wesley Station, and the console promptly blows up and kills her. Okay, now we got the dead one. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, My video en- was way ahead. <laughs> Ensign Joe's first reaction is to run to the turbo lift to try and escape. <laughs> do not even check on her. I mean, it's pretty obvious she's dead. She has a face full of console rocks. I don't think Ensign Joe's sticking around. Well, oddly, he's the one who lives through this episode. Let's see. So, um... Troy and O'Brien realize that she's dead and that 
they need to do bridgey things. Um, I, I'm glad that between the two of them, they're able to count to zero. You know, to check their polls. Oh. <laughs> All right, so back with Picard and the Brats. Um, they're whining and crying. Uh, Picard has broken his ankle. Somehow. Well, when it fell, it came to a very sudden stop, and like you know, all that pressure went to that one ankle. <sighs> I'm not sure, sure. about that. No, you see, there's artificial gravity. As someone who's as someone who's never broken an ankle, I'm like 100% positive it doesn't work that way. But are you as old as Picard? Actually, I should rephrase that. As someone who's never broken his own ankle, I can't really say I've never broken an ankle. And no, I'm not 68 years old. Okay. I guess he needs more calcium in his diet. He's like he he's like he didn't snap a hip. The kids are crying because they're all going to die. They're probably right. That's what they say. Yeah. Picard helpfully tells them to stop crying, which makes them cry harder. I well, mean, yes, yes. When you yell pretty much as loud as you can, shut the f up at children. It doesn't usually like you know calm or reassure them. Really? Uh, that's been my experience. Been doing this wrong the whole time. So that's when I go and get the duct tape and. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There is no problem duct tape can't solve. It's the handyman's secret weapon. Of course. Can it keep things unstuck? Yeah, but you have to invert it. Uh huh. That's pretty handy. Yeah. So back up in the bridge, um, Ensign Roe decides to crash the party by just. Herculesing her way into the bridge. She's Bajoran. She is. She's very Bajoran. <laughs> so they do, you know, some pseudoscience explanation of why the ship is wrecked right now, but it doesn't really matter because, you know, if it wasn't, there wouldn't be an episode. Um, oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, O'Brien says well, we've hit a, uh, a cosmic filament. Quantum or, filament. A quantum filament. And Troy says, is that like a cosmic string? And everyone's like, no, no. you idiot. That's something different. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just sitting, I'm just sitting here like, okay. <laughs> sure. So they're checking to see if anybody's still alive or if they're the only four people alive on the ship of 2000. 1000. One thousand. Whatever. Their fancy sensor is going to detect that, yes, yeah, somebody's alive somewhere, I guess. They get readings from the saucer section adequately enough to know that like most of the crew up there has survived the internal sensors are not able to read into the uh, star drive section for unspecified reasons why it would be that specific that they can't read that whole chunk of the ship maybe um, the lights were off apparently um, so I think the main question they have is like, is anybody like down there alive and able to, you know, handle emergencies with stuff we can't access anymore because we don't have a computer that works? And the answer is no. Oh, that's right. Troy, you can sense people. Do you sense anyone? She's empathic. She's not GPS. <laughs> well, then I guess we need to figure out who's in charge. Yeah, so I like that Roe brings that question up, and I think when O'Brien tells her that Lieutenant Becky has died, Roe in her head is like, "Okay, I get to be in charge now." Yes, for a, <laughs> for about a 
third of a second before O'Brien says, I think Troy's in command, actually, because even she's though we don't, ranking officer. we don't address her by rank ever, uh, she actually does hold a superior rank to everybody else on the bridge right now. I mean, that's, that's, that's how that kind of stuff works. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, it's more just like, she is a lieutenant commander, but she never wears a standard uniform or is addressed by uh, rank properly or, you know, has any kind of, like, command... Uh, hierarchy place uh, placement so, at this point, or really any command training for that matter. Well, no, that's very true. That <laughs> that is very true, and I think the lieutenant commander rank is the same as uh, you know, Doctor Crusher has the rank of commander. She's got three full pips on her collar. So did Doctor Pulaski, but they're also not really addressed by their rank. Right. So the question is, why does Troy have this rank? Is it related to her job duties as counselor? And human resources at the ship. And I, th- I, th- I think plus, you know, she is kind of like on the inner circle of the command. That wouldn't necessarily mean that she'd have a higher rank, though, because I mean, not necessarily, but ensigns be on the bridge crew. Yeah, but, but I wonder I... something about the, that gives her the, the ability to decide if someone's fit for duty or not. Yeah, I would think so. Again, I think it's just a function of being part of the crew of the starship. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, we know in Troy's background, she did psychology study on Beta Z, probably separate from her training uh, with Starfleet. And with Starfleet, she probably had to go through some degree of Starfleet medical training to qualify for this role on a starship. Um, And, you know, every medical doctor we see has a Starfleet rank. She Um, has a degree in Beta Z homeopathy. I mean, that's what it seems like sometimes, yeah. Or, like, she studied in the, the Betazoid uh, Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> she was top of her class at the uh, University of Space Aruba. It's a sub-branch of the University of Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> well, that says all you need to say about it, doesn't it? I guess the question that really should be asked here is, like, why... Protocol-wise, is Troy allowed to, like, perform her uh, shipboard duties in just whatever she feels like wearing and not having to, like, report to duty in a uniform? Because she looks sexy in it. No, she doesn't. So, there is one outfit that they gave her that actually was attractive on her, and that was that um, light blue dress that appeared through part of season four, I think. Yeah. Like, that was the best-looking piece of wardrobe she had, and they only used it, I think, in that one season, sporadically. The rest is just that weird v-neck jumpsuit in two colors. Yeah, uh, uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's trying to attribute uh, real-world wardrobe decisions to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, like, even in Voyager, there's a reason Seven of Nine is just wearing her skin-tight jumpsuit all the time, because she is a civilian for all intents and purposes. You know, she doesn't get a uniform, although the uniform looked good on Jerry Ryan. It did. The, the couple of times the they had... The looked really nice against her. Yeah. I, they totally could... If they weren't going specifically for the eye candy thing, they could, they could have totally put her just in a blue uniform as an unranked crewman. Yeah. And that would have been a lot better. Um... Well, and Neelix didn't look bad in a security uniform either. The yellow worked well with the makeup. Yeah. yeah, but like the, we the could... nicest thing you'll ever say about Neelix, probably. Ah, uh, oh. no, I like Neelix. 
nice thing I could say about Neelix. Okay, so like we're definitely <laughs> we're definitely going to give you um some kind of like uh horrifying Neelix episode to watch because like when you do watch one of those and you start to see like there is depth and complexity to his character, you will completely change your view on him through the entire oh, no. series. I, I I know that there is. I still don't like him. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've seen Voyager. <laughs> yes, but did you see Voyager? Oh, Lord, I've seen enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Ensign Rose thought briefly that she might get to actually make some decisions and, you know, be in charge for a little bit. But no, uh, O'Brien is handing it off to Troy instead. Ensign Rose is very sad. Ensign doesn't have sad feelings. She has angry feelings. Okay, well, then Ensign Rowe is very quiet angry. Yeah, that's kind of the expression she wears. Meanwhile, back at the bar. Oh, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) So, uh, Riker is assuming control, as he actually should be doing. Yes. Um, and he's figuring out what they can and can't do, where they can and can't go. Uh, so, uh, apparently where they can't go is anywhere. Uh-huh. And where they can go is nowhere. The, the bar. Oh, no. They where can they go to Jeffrey's tubes. Oh, boy. Okay, so another thing that's happened is uh, the, the bulkheads have slammed shut all over the ship because the ship is stupid and doesn't know if there's a hole breach or not. So they, they don't know if... Or there actually like the are a bunch of little hole breaches. <laughs> I guess in that situation, though, like, if the ship cannot... 100% positively determine that there is not a hull breach, you would probably want it to err on the side of caution and isolate the sections anyway. Yes. So, despite the fact they can't go anywhere, Riker issues the order to have all the wounded come here to 10 forward. You know, all the wounded who are within this section of closed-off bulkheads. So they only have to use one set. I mean... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... So he leaves Worf in charge of sick bay. Hmm. And him and Data go off on an adventure. <laughs> Worf, Me- Worf known for his bedside manner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the cargo bay... You know, things don't really seem too bad for uh, Jordy and Beverly. They've got their lights on still. There's no, anybody else today. No bulkheads have fallen on them. Like, it's, it's uh, you know... Nothing's caught fire. They've got a nice warm wall to keep themselves, you know, from getting frostbite. Yeah, like, literally, the worst problem they have right now is that they can't open the door. <laughs> Everybody else on the ship is broken and bruised and trapped in, you know... Uh, or dead. Trapped in a turbo lift with little kids. Um, but no, they just, they're just they just slightly inconvenienced at the moment. Until the thing ruptures. <sighs> yeah... Yeah, and so puts out a lot of it puts out radiation. So okay, like <laughs> Jordy is trapped in the cargo bay with Beverly. The, the the door won't open by normal means. They have the chief of engineering here, and he can't figure out a way to make the door open. Oh, he figured out a way to do it. The problem is the the handle blew up in his face. Well, maybe he should have thought of it sooner, before it blew up. Well, I think him taking the panel off is what exposed the air in there to cause the blow up. Well, then he should have got into it faster. Oh, yeah. Also, like, I don't see why he needed Beverly to tell him that the wall was hot by touching it. 
since he should have been able to see the heat build up through his visor. Yeah. Well. But, but you are probably right that opening the panel exposed that to air and let it ignite that way. Which isn't to say that the heat buildup probably wouldn't have melted through until it could contact air eventually anyway, but... It probably didn't help. No, I don't think it helped. I'm a little confused as to how a plasma fire gives off radiation. I suppose it depends what it's burning. I suppose? It Also, as and... Star Trek is wont to do, they don't really like specify what kind of radiation. Just said it's radiation. Yeah, like, they, they use radiation as a catch-all bad thing when you know light is radiation heat is radiation there's all kinds of radiation like yes that's giving off a lot of light and heat so it definitely is putting out a lot of radiation maybe just put out a lot of uv rays and uh beverly's worried they'll get sunburned this will cause a skin cancer in 20 to 40 years <laughs> well they don't know how long they're gonna be stuck in that cargo bay i'll have to give you a shot to cure it also, shouldn't the cargo bay have, like, a Jeffrey's tube access somewhere? Like, wouldn't you think? Well, the bulkhead closed on it. I mean, maybe. Are there emergency bulkheads to seal the Jeffrey's tubes? Yeah, that's why they couldn't get out. Okay. I mean, I guess Meanwhile... it must be something like that, because the bridge also has Jeffrey's tubes that run up to there, so, like, theoretically they should be able to crawl out of there if that path was clear. I like to mention that the bridge Jeffrey's tube goes up right beneath the captain's chair, so he can just poop straight from the command chair. I think it actually backs up to the uh, aft stations, but your idea is amusing, yes. You know, that's one thing they didn't ever uh, mention in this episode, is whether the uh, bridge's bathroom was working. Hmm. Always with the important questions. Look, when <laughs> if you've been it watching blows these, up... When you've been watching these episodes over and over for like 30 years... There's only so many questions left to ask. <laughs> so, bathrooms in Star Trek, like, when there's an incident, like, do the EPS conduits blow up and send rocks out the toilet, or? <laughs> I guess depending on the situation, you just would hope that it's only rocks that it sends up out of the toilet. Because, like, you know, if the plumbing system starts backing up in space, I just, it feels kind of bad. This is why you want gravity in your pipes. Yeah, I think the I think the toilets definitely should have their own independent artificial gravity. What if they just have sonic toilets? Let okay. just obliterate it with sound waves. Hmm. Sonic bidet. It's like taking a shit into like a subwoofer. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what that would feel like. Sort of thumping. Maybe a little tingly. But you know Picard has to have a sonic bidet in his private bathroom. It's a wine bidet. Well, it's sonic, it probably does wine. Ah, Chateau Picard 76. It's an excellent year. Squirt. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the elevator. Yeah. Did we actually yay. just skip over a whole bridge scene talking about toilets instead? No, we never got to this part. Okay, good. So uh, the kids are still convinced they're going to die. Uh, As you do. Picard has given up on all hope of ever finding his real bridge crew, so he's decided to make these kids his new bridge crew. (laughs) (laughs) He needs someone to be expendable. So uh, he gives Kimberly two pips, uh, Jay Gordon one, and Radish Kid one. So he's 
installed a clear hierarchy among the children so they know which child is better than the others. Which yeah. one is the first to die? It's Radish Kid, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Oh yeah, he's got red shirt written all over him. I mean, he isn't he kind of wearing a reddish shirt? Yeah. So, you know, there you go. That's what I said, he's got red shirt all over him. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Jeffrey's tubes, uh, Riker and Data are crawling about. As you do. Mela goes through all looks weirder than I remember. I just kind of love how Jeffrey's tubes, they didn't like give them any cushioning on them. It's just like your knees in a hard, cold, grating plastic and steel. Uh-huh. They were engineered specifically to crawl through. And thought, Let's make it as painful as possible. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to rubberize this or anything. Meanwhile, back at the cargo bay... You know, it should be, though. Like, there shouldn't be any artificial gravity in the Jeffrey's tubes, because then you can just float down through them. And they're yeah, between they decks, so there definitely shouldn't be gravity there. Your tools would float away, though. Magnets. Uh, the, the magnetic fields would interfere with the, the EPS manifolds. Velcro. Velcro doesn't exist in Star Trek. Neither do zippers. Molecular bonding. Your tool is now literally a part of you. It's glue. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so meanwhile, back in the cargo bay... Um, Yes, the radiation levels are rising, but wait, it's worse. <laughs> this just reminds me of the child where, like, so as bad as I think this is, you're telling me it's actually worse? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so I like, I like this. So there's these big yellow canisters of stuff, which is apparently some kind of uh, propellant for emergency thrusters. Now, somehow this, this propellant is stable material normally, which, because rocket fuel is known for being stable. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but when it's exposed to radiation, unspecified radiation, mind you, so you just have to think, like, when it's exposed to radiation of any sort of the spectrum, it tends to explode. That's bad. Why do they have this stuff in an open cargo bay? Like, everything about this is a bad idea. <laughs> well, you're not usually popping it open. Well, normally there's no radiation in the cargo bay, just the, the chemical. It feels like, like the, the ship is... radiation stored in a different bay. Oh. <laughs> but the ship's exposed to radiation like every other week. But not this kind of radiation. I the guess. Bay. It's bad radiation. Green spectrum radiation. Meanwhile, on the bridge... Uh, Rose Surprise, it's actually worse. Roe has successfully hot-wired the engineering station, like an old Pontiac. <laughs> Pretty O'Brien much. is not plus. <laughs> she plugged the phasers into the engineering computer to make it work. Yes. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I kind of love that. She's shooting the computer to make it work. <laughs> Pretty much. It's a very Ensign Row solution. Although O'Brien is so aghast, but he's like, what the f***? You can't do that. What I love about that is, like, the clear distinction between O'Brien at this point in his career and O'Brien by the time he's been on Deep Space Nine for like a year. Yeah. Like he is so into the like Starfleet manual for how to engineer. Mm -hmm. And after a few months of dealing with the bullshit on Deep Space Nine, he's just like, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to connect these two things with a fork 
and it's going to work. And lo, did it work. <laughs> Nobody touch this, you'll die. <laughs> you just don't breathe on it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the turbo lift works now. <laughs> I was able to restore artificial gravity, but there's gravity in the bottom of the turbo lift shaft now, too. I don't think it'll be a problem, though. I got the air conditioning working in the turbo lift, but there's also spinning razor blades. So, <laughs> duck. <laughs> but it's worse. Ah, oh, yes, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so the, the the magnetic field that keeps the antimatter from touching the regular matter, yeah, that's breaking down. Oh, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of a problem. Troy barely comprehends what's going on around here, but she looks unhappy. Like, I feel like this is a bad thing, but I don't know for sure. But I'm just going to look con concerned. So if the field collapse, what happens then? Uh, ship go boom. Oh. <laughs> That's bad, right? Yeah, it's pretty bad. And Ro audibly rolls her eyes. She rolls her eyes so hard her prosthetic nose falls off. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Jeffrey's tube... Uh, uh, it's worse. Riker and Data have encountered a video game trap. <laughs> where there's an electric fence they have to cross. But first they need the blue key. Unfortunately, the uh, hallway they just left is now full of poison gas. So they can't go back. Thankfully, Data has the smartest solution possible. <sighs> What if I just walk into it and see if it shorts out? So, alternate theory here. Couldn't Data have just, like, walked through it and kept going? Well, no, because that, that wouldn't have uh, stopped him. He had to stop there for, for to stop him. Well, yeah, but then we could have, like, split the episode's focus even further by having, you know, coming back to Riker every couple of minutes and him just sitting there in the Jeffries 2 being like, yep. <laughs> Good idea, the, Will. Get the cramp Good in idea. Leg. <laughs> so today's whole theory is that, like you know he's kind of insulated, like <laughs> parts of him are rubber or something, plastic something. Yeah, he's got plastic skin. He'll be fine. Yeah, and, and, and when my body just uh, doesn't work anymore, just take my head with you. <laughs> like Riker's just like. Really? <laughs> like I can just do that? <laughs> All this time? <laughs> yes, sir. I am very modular. <laughs> Everything's contained up here. Theta's head is connected by a single five millimeter peg. <laughs> He's a weaponizer. <laughs> All right. So Data walks into the lightning. Uh, it hits some of the sides and somehow puts uh, a burn mark on his chest. Okay. It arcs through his chest. Sure. No, I think Ish. the visual effects actually are consistent with that. Yeah, well. R R Riker watching as he does it is just like, I feel like you're feeding me a line of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> if this doesn't work, I'm putting the report as your idea. <laughs> I just, this doesn't, doesn't work, I'm screwed. There's so much of this episode where you have to love how bizarrely the Enterprise's systems are designed. <laughs> That there is just a fail condition where this millions of volts 
of electricity can arc across this open gap. <laughs> but if you put an android in the middle of it, it stops. Like, obviously, well, the circuit breakers on the ship are not, like, a fail-safe condition. It has to be, like, an active failure situation. If there's not a system monitoring it and watching and knowing that it has to turn the power off, it's not going to shut off. The entire ship is powered by Jacob's Ladders. Well, to look at this scene, yes. Uh, do you remember the second season episode, Contagion? No. Um, so it's the episode with the Iconians, and the relevant part to this conversation is that at one point, Jordy's explaining the the thought process behind how the Galaxy-class ship operates, basically. And he says that it's very much like the human body, where at least 90-95% of what goes on on the ship is completely out of human control. <laughs> Yeah, the the ship is almost completely autonomous in what it's doing, and they cannot, like, do anything about it. That's terrifying. Yeah, and this episode kind of proves, again, why that's not necessarily a great thing, since things are seeming to fail in really weird ways. Weird in specific ways. Yeah. Speaking of weird in specific ways that things have failed, meanwhile... In the turbo lift? In the turbo lift, turbo yeah. Lift. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Picard has had enough of these f***ing children, therefore he's throwing them out of the top of the turbo lift. <laughs> One at a time. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> so he throws up Jay Gordon um, and tells him to scope out what you can see. Do you see the brakes? Yes. Are They're they broke. Broken. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That one, Jean-Luc. <laughs> <laughs> so, clearly, they have these brakes here in case the ship messes up and there's gravity inside the turbo lift will. Yes. To keep the turbo lift from falling in case of unexpected gravity. Correct. But the gravity is working. Yeah, the, the, the gravity is working is bad. That's why yeah, the brakes. Okay. The brakes are the secondary uh, backup of keeping them from falling. See, if they were really smart about how they designed these turbo lift shafts, they would have an artificial gravity source in the top of it also that would balance the gravity in the bottom of it so that anything in the shaft would be neutral. See, they actually added that in for the Enterprise-E. That's why you don't have this problem anymore. Okay, but then in Nemesis... Well, in Nemesis, the, that was when they retrofitted the E... And they added in the bottomless pits uh, <laughs> that uh, Riker threw Ron Perlman into. Right. Um, from the bottom level of the ship. Yeah. <clears throat> well, no, you know what? Maybe we were reading that scene wrong the entire time. Maybe there was gravity in the top of the turbo lift shaft, and he threw Ron Perlman up the bottomless pit. Oh. Ah. That, that's probably it then, yeah. Yeah. Wow, I just fixed Star Trek Nemesis. Yeah, it's perfect now. <laughs> All right, Spagard says, okay, well, this elevator is going to fall, so... Uh, and we're all going to die. You were right, Jay Gordon. Yes, you were right all <laughs> along. You're... <laughs> and I'm not going to sit in this elevator with a bunch of screaming, dying kids, so you kids better get up there and get on that ladder. I am going to sit here and die alone, quietly, with dignity. <laughs> the law to you. And then his crew decides to mutiny and stay with him. God damn it. This is what happens when you have a crew that hasn't been through the Academy. Or puberty. Wesley went through the Academy without hitting puberty. 
I mean, you have to look at him. <laughs> All right, so meanwhile, in the cargo bay. Uh, so Crusher and Jordy's plan is to just slap the barrels to the other side of the room. Hey, it buys them five <laughs> minutes, even though it'll take him like half an hour to move the barrels. Let's just move this away from the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that so far that fire's already pumped out enough radiation that they're going to need medical treatment for days. Assuming they ever get out of the cargo bay in the first place. If only there's some other way out of the cargo bay. Mm. Wait, that's it! What if we just open the door? <laughs> okay, now... Now, let's let's recap here. Beverly and Jordy are still in the cargo bay because they can't open the one door. But they're going to assume that the other door will still work. Well, opening the other door would be a bad idea. So, therefore, it's going to uh, work. Well, that goes back to what Ken was saying about how the ship fails in really oddly specific ways. Specific and helpful ways. Because this fixes both problems. It gets the explosive chemicals outside, and the lack of oxygen will put out the fire. Unless, you know, something that it's uh, consuming in the wall is providing it with an oxidizer. No, because it only caught fire once it already opened the panel, but the air was coming in from yeah, outside. Yeah, I, I know. We, we've already covered this. Yeah, I know. Wait, an oxidizer? So something that's making it rust? I mean, it would if it was exposed to air. Meanwhile... Who just, who just dropped the dishes? That would be Ben. Ah, uh, how'd I guess? But speaking of dishes, meanwhile, in 10 forward... Ah. Uh, um, it's become a full-on triage center, and Worf apparently is doing such a poor job, he's enlisted pregnant Keiko to help. Yeah, so Worf's trying his hand at setting some broken limbs. This might hurt. <laughs> hey, you didn't scream. That's pretty good. He didn't set the leg or anything. He just, like, moved the broken bone pieces. <laughs> He's just grinding the ends together. Did that fix it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Klingons have three femurs, so this wouldn't be a problem for me. Keiko's had enough of this shit, and uh, she's going to shit out this baby right here in the bar. So for two episodes in a row, we get a, we get a labor scene. <laughs> yeah. But wait, it's worse. Worf... <laughs> this, time, this, time, this time, Worf isn't coming to try and kill the baby. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the bridge... <laughs> There's a lot going on in this episode. Yes. <laughs> No, I always, you know, I always drink every time he take a drink every time he says meanwhile. I always liked this episode when I was younger, just because there was so much going on and it was such an unusual situation within the show. Mm -hmm. Like this was an early favorite of mine when I was, you know, like between twelve and fifteen, I guess. Oh, I still like the episode. Oh no, I do too. I haven't like stopped liking it, but like it was one of my like anytime I would see it come on the reruns because it was still that age. Um, you know, I would get excited knowing that was going to be what was coming up because, like, I just really enjoyed all the different stuff going on in this episode. That's how I feel about the Frasier episode. That I was always excited to catch it on a rerun. Oh, uh, cause and effect. Yeah, yeah, that too. No, that was kind of the same thing. So, what I love here about the, this meanwhile on the bridge <laughs> is that Troy's taking her bridge crew to the conference room to discuss what to do. Like, they could just do this on the bridge. They needed to go to the moody room. 
Well, no, they couldn't talk in front of um, Ensign Joe. Uh, Ensign Joe is gone. He, he has bolted down that turbulent shaft. <laughs> well, no, he can't, though, because there's nowhere to go down there. The bulkhead closed below the turbo lift. He's going to pry it open. Oh, okay. I guess I guess um, voiding himself out into space is probably preferable to uh, Troy in command. <laughs> and Ro being bitchy about it. Eh. All right, this whole scene boils down to of O'Brien saying, let's save the ship. And Rose saying, let's blow the ship the f*** up. Let's get out of here. I'm going to go with O'Brien there. <laughs> so it's it's more O'Brien's like, let's save the ship. Rose is like, let's save half the ship. <laughs> Rose's argument is like, well, we don't know if anyone's alive, so we should save the people we know are alive. Us. But, yeah, it's like, but you don't know that they're not alive. <laughs> we well, can't prove a negative, can you? <laughs> like on the one hand I sort of get her argument cause from where they are right now there's not really a way to resolve the uh, failing magnetic containment problem so if they don't get away from that by some means then yes everyone will die logically uh, Roe was probably correct yeah if Troy was a Vulcan and not a Betazoid. Yeah, if, if Troy was a Vulcan, they'd be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, she's not. A Vulcan ship's counselor, can you even imagine? Oh my god! I would actually pay Have you tried to have not that being... at... <laughs> That yeah, would I... make a great show on its own. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I want to see, like, just random episodes of different species as ship counselors. Uh, you know, so a Vulcan counselor, a Klingon counselor, a Ferengi counselor. Yes, a Ferengi counselor. <laughs> have you tried the, some retail therapy? I just happen to have a selection right the here. <laughs> the Klingon one has to work out their regressions in a death match. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. If you were any other patient, I'd kill you where you stand. <laughs> Yeah, the Klingon counselor's advice would always be to just, like, go directly confront the problem head-on with knives. So you're saying mutiny? It depends. <laughs> I mean, it works on Klingon ships. Ah, that's true, true. And so Ro has this look when she walks out, like, I can't believe you won't let me murder all these people. <laughs> Troy looks concerned. This is a lot on her little head. <laughs> No, she should smile more often. <laughs> Ooh. Has she tried not being overwhelmed? Has she tried being competent? <laughs> In fairness, this is a lot for if it's not your training. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, I think it's like, on. you know, I wholly identify with Troy. Yeah. Because, like, I've totally been in the situation where, like, okay, I am technically have the rank to do this, but this is not what I'm cap comfortable doing. And I am not qualified for this. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been there in like much smaller scales than this, obviously. Oh, yeah. But but no, I've been with you know blowing up ships and stuff. I've been there. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Glad <laughs> you say you can relate. I left that star drive behind. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> ah, meanwhile, in the turbo lift shaft, drink. Captain and the children are climbing up the ladder. 
uh, and finding out that, hey, these doors don't open. Maybe there's a problem with the ship. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, but I, I like I like the climbing gear solution here to make sure that the children don't plummet to their deaths while trying not to plummet yeah. to their deaths. So Picard, <laughs> before they left the turbo lift, had uh, Marissa go and uh, punch like three different keys, which took all the control panels off the wall and exposed all the optical data cable. Because apparently that's just an essential function to have in a turbo lift. Um, so, like, yeah, rip all that cabling out, and we're going to make ropes. We have yes. time for that. They're secured by USB cords. No, they're secured by uh, thin glass fibers. That, that's fiber optics. Now, sure, maybe it's plastic instead of literal glass, but that's still going to be fairly fragile for, like, brake strength. Maybe it's transparent aluminum. Ooh, you just blew my mind. They could, they probably could totally do transparent aluminum fiber optics. Suddenly, this does not seem so stupid anymore. No, it still seems very stupid, but... I didn't say it didn't seem stupid. I said it didn't seem so stupid. There's a difference. But do you want this team needs to really climb this ladder someone without a broken ankle at the lead to the they need to go up the long ladder so we need the irish yes or the clones we need a drinking song i mean a climbing song so picard asks marissa if she has a song that she sings in school and she's got the best answer and like the most inexplicable also the Laughing Vulcan and his dog. Okay, so... Like, we don't have the rights for that. Okay, so... A. Laughing Vulcan. What are these children being taught about being other... Taught about Cyborg? I guess. And since when do Vulcans have dogs? Spock had a dog. McCoy? No, when he was a kid in the animated series, that giant demon thing. Oh, that was the... Um, the... Sellot, I think. I want to say they referenced that in something else. But, you know, they, they called that a teddy bear, basically, when they first yeah. introduced the yeah. idea. So it's not really a dog. And yeah, I think Enterprise referenced back to that. So Picard thinks, we can't sing that because we'll have to pay royalties for it. So, uh, what's public domain? Frere Jaca. You all know that, right? It's in French. And somehow they do. <sighs> It's... But so, now, how is the universal, universal translator handling this? It's broken. Are they in English and it's being translated to French? No, the universal translator is broken right now. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because yeah. of the gravity. Uh-huh. It can't work in a high-gravity environment. I think maybe there was a Voyager episode maybe, about maybe that. It just maybe it just doesn't work on French. Yeah, it doesn't recognize it as a language. <laughs> I cannot with Marissa's white boots. I'm sorry. <laughs> that is some tofu bullshit. <laughs> like, I'm mad at Hasbro for not painting triangles on her boots. Well, that's okay. Wow. You can just paint the triangles on yourself. Yeah. Also, wouldn't it be diamonds, not triangles? Never. No, her <laughs> uniform had triangles. Meanwhile, in 10 forward, it's worse. For war. The violation has gone to 7 centimeters. Yeah, so Worf, basically, his means of dealing with this is just reading what the tricorder says and, like, you know, following its instructions. Well, it prevents him to deal with Keiko, which I can't fault him for. But 
because of this, Worf is on the best days. Worf is missing some like you know crucial experiential information here, which Keiko's quickly catching on to. <laughs> and so you know she asks the obvious question: Worf, have you ever done this before? Well, no, but I did watch from a distance once as some kind of alien abomination baby was born out of Troy. <laughs> Christ. I almost shot it. Ken, you get that guy over there that's bleeding out the head at his head to deliver this baby for me, thanks. <laughs> What's the guy with the broken leg doing? He's just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so basically Worf's level of experience, he, he took he took a course at the Academy where he participated in a simulation of a human birth. Yes, he watched uh, a holodeck vagina squeeze out a baby. Yes, that's pretty much what they're getting at. Although, I, I've always interpreted it as one step removed from that. He watched a video on a screen rather than... <laughs> and, like, it just... It was kind of like um, a point-and-click game, so it stops at certain points along the way and gives you uh, options how to proceed. Actually, you know, when Worf did this training was a long time ago, before the holodecks got to be really good. Mm-hmm. So before before they had actual QTEs? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm imagining like it was like some weird polygon wireframe nonsense. <laughs> like, it was... Uh, the woman looked like Lawnmower Man. <laughs> <laughs> So he watched like someone give birth in the money for nothing video. Wow. He played Delivery Room Simulator on PlayStation 2. <laughs> <sighs> Meanwhile, in the cargo bay, it's worse. Well, it's not worse. They're just getting ready to, you know, go for what was already bad. Well, it's worse than the, as Crusher describes what's going to happen when they open the door to outside. So, resist the urge to exhale. Which science now says is wrong. Um, and apparently you'll pass out uh, within 20, 30 seconds. Okay, so I'm, sure. I'm calling some bullshit on this. Because, like, I, you can, like, hold your breath like, for, like, a full minute. Ah, so, technically, a human can hold their breath for, like, three minutes or more, a little bit, without... Hang on your lung capacity. Uh, without negative effects. So the problem is when you hold your breath past a certain point, um, your brain is sending uh, urgent instructions to resume breathing, which is making you feel like you need to start breathing sooner than you actually do. But like when you take that deep breath and hold it in, you've got enough oxygen to be just fine for a few minutes. If you can train yourself to resist the urge to uh, exhale and take in new air. Jordy and Beverly have not, have not trained themselves for this. (laughs) No, I just, you would think she would know this being a doctor. That's one of the interesting things about humans is that it's not the urge to inhale that makes us breathe, it's the urge to exhale. Yeah. Which is why it's so easy to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah. Because you're still breathing out, so your body sort of reacts normal until you just die. Yeah. Um. So basically everything she says will happen is wrong. And even if it wasn't, the time scale involved is, like, way the hell shorter than it should be. What if she knew this? 
She's like, I'm just gonna pad in some Scotty time here to make sure we have enough time to get this done. <laughs> so I'm gonna see we got like a third amount of the time that we have is we gotta get this done in. To make sure Jordy rushes. Yeah. Also, I like I like that it's not until they're uh you know just about to open the outer door that they look for something to hold on to. Cause if it was me, that'd be the first thing I'd be thinking about in considering this plan. Like, okay, what can I use to not get blown out into space myself? Yeah. Not sucked out. Data's already clarified that. Yes. And that was how I originally learned the difference, actually. Young XV learned a lot of actual science through Star Trek. Just disappointed we didn't have any scenes of Riker carrying around Data's head underneath his arm or anything. Well, yeah, the like frame... awkwardly framed. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, like you see the shoulders in some shots. The... What do you got there, Will? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the mannequin head they had for Data just didn't even look like Brent Spiner that convincingly. So, like, it would have just that never shitty. stopped them before. <laughs> I was about to say. All right, so uh, Jordy hits the button to open the window, and I love this klaxon for whenever they open up shuttle bay doors because it sounds terrifying. As well, it should. It gives a different air of pay the f- attention. Something bad's about to happen, and it could be worse because then Jordy so, hits the other button and they release the force field, and then we get a really f- cool miniature shot. Yeah, uh, it looks damned convincing. Oh yeah. Uh, so the barrels fly out into space. Uh, the fire goes out, and they close the door. And Jordy makes his way for the panel, but gives up three steps in. Because he's really out of shape. But thankfully, Crusher is a dancer. <laughs> he's got dancing lungs. <laughs> and she easily makes it over there to hit that button to turn on the air conditioning. Well, easy. And then pass it out. You know what else is kind of dumb here? Elkar's panels are like, the whole point of how that's made is you can reconfigure any panel to do basically any function. Couldn't Jordy have just set up a repressurized button on the console they were standing right next to? Look, oh, he was no, under a lot of pressure. And, They're not and... connected. There's an air gap. Because it's a... <sighs> Meanwhile. Meanwhile, on the bridge, um... Roe and O'Brien are still doing that thing where one says one person says one thing, the other person immediately contradicts them, and then that's sort of stuck on a loop. But then an alarm sounds because it's just gotten worse. Yes, uh, so Ryan stop, O'Brien's stop gaps uh, are failing, but then he fixes them, so it's fine again. So ultimately, the the plan they come up with here to try to like not sacrifice half the crew is to divert power from the bridge's power source wherever it's able to get power from and send that to the engineering computer down in engineering which is without power right now so if there is anybody alive they can't see there's a problem which seems like a problem unto itself yeah so they're basically blind broadcasting a computer screen down to engineering hoping that someone will see it and fix it yeah this will be important for like two mean miles from now they really should have just disconnected the ship already. <laughs> that plan is f***ing terrible. Well, you know, Troy doesn't have any training in this. No, but she does find some balls. Yeah. This is a scene where she decides, yes, I am a commander of a starship. 
<laughs> no matter what my pants say. You know what? Whether I take my rank, whether I take my rank seriously or not, you're going to. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, in engineering, sort of, uh, mm. we get a wonderfully stupid effect shot of Data's head sitting <laughs> on a, a pan. I just wanted it to be stupider. That, that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's like a curtain or a tablecloth over it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see Riker set down that bad model they have of his head <laughs> and cut away and cut back. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although, really, though, how they've hid Data's neckline in the panel is actually pretty good. Also a little disturbing. Just, like you know, I, how, his, how his neck skin is kind of spread out. This episode's effects are better than it has a, a right to be for being a silly model episode. Well, that's why they can have better effects, because they had some extra money to be able to play with. Yeah. Anyway, so Riker sees the computer, he sees the problem with the antimatter field, and then... He changes Data's uh, ports around, uh, gives him a little miniature stroke. <laughs> well, Data told him to connect to the secondary optical port. Riker connected to the primary optical port instead, and that closed Data's eye. Right. So Data's have a, Data has secondary eyes. In the back of his head, because that's where yeah, Riker's cause... working. Yeah, you need <laughs> to have a secondary backup. Yeah, you don't want to get caught without a secondary backup. Hooray, he solved it. He saved the ship. Meanwhile, on the bridge, it could have been worse. <laughs> but it wasn't. We're fine. No thanks to you, Ro. <laughs> yes, but even in victory, Troy is humble and admits, well, you could have been right, but you weren't. <laughs> There was a 50-50 chance we were all going to die, and I took a risk. Good thing you were wrong. <laughs> I was right. Meanwhile, the turbo lift shaft. Drank. The captain claws his way out, broken ankle and all, and he hesitates a moment before he helping the children out. Uh. <laughs> and you know damn well why he's hesitating. And the first thing Jay Gordon does as he, uh, you know, clears the, the doorway is to grab onto Picard's ankle. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, it was not the bad ankle, because that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 10 forward, congratulations, you are now dilated to 10 centimeters. You may commence giving birth. <laughs> Why have you not given birth? <laughs> no. Has the baby spun around yet? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Can't you tell? My, my computer simulation was not like this. <laughs> that delivery was much more orderly. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, here's the first time that we see naked vagina on Star Trek. Thanks, disaster. <laughs> This is so weird. They just showed full-on naked baby on television. Uh-huh. It's a baby. It's fine. Well, it... Still, though, it shows some decorum. Like, have it come out <laughs> with a diaper or something. <laughs> I mean, there's a Federation this baby. A they could probably do that. Materialized it onto the baby while it was in the womb. Well, they would have, but that's broken. 
Well, I meant beforehand. Uh, I also love the shot that there's a, the, the tricorder prop lying next to this baby covered in fake blood. <laughs> with a fake it, before glued to its stomach. This baby that is definitely not a newborn. But, you know. That's one of my favorite things is whenever a baby's born, it's always like three months old. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I, understand, I understand why, but it's also hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I, I imagine like, some asshole directors assisting they've got a fresh-born baby, so they have this string of mothers on hold. I'm just <laughs> imagining – it, it, it's like I'm just imagining that baby that big actually coming out of Keiko, and I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> she was dilated 10 centimeters. They'll be fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, babies, babies, babies squeeze and, um, you know, skin tears, bones break. It sounds like a, an orc song. <laughs> skin tears, bones break. <laughs> Meanwhile, so Molly is born three months old and then 14 months from now, she will be a walking, talking toddler. <sighs> I thought we did that episode last time. <laughs> <laughs> 14 months, not 14 minutes. Wolf wraps the baby in a blanket, looks at it, and decides, it looks like Miles (laughs) O'Brien? Huh. Who would have thought? I was not expecting this. (laughs) He probably thought he was going to come out with a, a, you know, scraggly beard and... (laughs) Saxophone. (laughs) Trombone. Yes, trombone, yes. That's supposed to say that out loud, Wolf. Also, I just want to point out, like, the first indication we ever had that Keiko was pregnant was this episode. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Although I'm pretty sure this is also the first time Keiko appeared since, like, at best, halfway through season four. Because I think the last time she appeared was when those um, the telepathic uh, memory archivist aliens were on the ship. And that was somewhere pretty early in the previous season. Anyway, meanwhile, on the bridge, everything's back to normal. Riker's sitting in his Riker chair, and Troy's walking up to him. <laughs> and Riker gives her a smirk, looks at her hips, and says, you just can't keep out of the big chair, can you? I don't even think she sat in that chair once this episode. She did, when she decided to have balls. Oh, okay. Yeah. But then she's like, but then she's like well, your position doesn't seem that hard to get. <laughs> Yeah, I understand there's not many qualifications to be a first officer. <laughs> Girl. Even Worf looks taken aback like, oh shit, no, she didn't. I'm gonna look like I'm busy. So uh they well, become- but then it gets worse. Yes. Because the children are back. <laughs> well as they call Picard to the bridge, he walks out, and the kids have been there the entire time. So they doesn't sit around awkwardly while like Troy and Riker sling like shade at each other. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a good thing to show to like the civilians on the ship, even if it is just the kids. So the kids have made Picard a commemorative plaque made of cardboard and macaroni. Yes, it's wonderful. He'll hang it above Einstein or Lionfish, whatever his name is. Um... What was his name? Um, not Leopold, not <laughs> not Wilford. It was um, the explorer in Africa, Livingston. Yeah, I presume. Well, in any case, uh, with the kids back and the ship basically working again, Picard's ready to actually give them their tour. 
first stop is the Battle Bridge. We'll take the stairs. <laughs> uh, freeze frame. <laughs> leap into the air. Now you gotta leap into the air first, then freeze frame. <laughs> so, okay. Now, one thing we haven't really had clarified with this is, like, was there anybody alive in the engineering section? Oh my, no. They're all dead. Yeah, so, like, that's what I want to know about this episode. Like, what actually ended up being the casualty count from this incident? Yeah, they, they, they go completely back to normal, and there's no, like, recognition of the fact that several people on board kind of ate shit and died, including on this bridge. Uh, yeah, and possibly quite a number of people. Um, Just for the fact that when uh Riker and Data were there, engineering seemed to be completely devoid of any activity. Uh-huh. When there's no reason for engineering to not be manned at that time. Uh-huh. In fact, there's plenty. There's a lot of reasons for it, to, for it to be manned, especially at that time. Like, they say, they established at the beginning of the episode that the Enterprise is basically between assignments right now. Like, they finished their last thing early and they are just kind of hanging out until it's time for them to go be wherever next place they're supposed to be. So, like, presumably the ship's crew is on reduced duty because there's nothing special going on, but, like, there absolutely should be a crew in engineering making sure the ship doesn't blow up because the antimatter pods are about to collapse. Uh, So, like, just based on that, like, you could kind of maybe assume the whole engineering department died that was on staff that day, and if that was the case, there's probably a lot more casualties all around the ship otherwise. Like, they never say it, but this could be, like, the highest death toll on the Enterprise in a single incident that doesn't get rolled back by time travel shenanigans. Maybe this is what actually happened to Argyle. Oh. But he disappeared years ago. He's on the night shift. Oh. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Anybody you you don't see again from this episode on probably died here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. Well, good thing background ensign spiky hair lady survived. Tracy Lee Coco, uh, I think. Yeah, and then um, that chick who was around for two episodes who was hitting on Jordy, she's probably dead too. Oh yeah, probably. She spilled coffee on Riker, or was it Picard? It, Picard, and it was hot chocolate. Okay, yeah. But that's okay. Q was there to clean him. I just want to touch on uh, how horrifying a quantum filament appears to be. Yeah, you can't see it coming, and it can completely f- your shit. Yeah, they're just out there, like Man of War jellyfish of space. Or, like, quicksand of space. Oh, no, I know what it is. It's the black ice of space. (laughs) And yet, for being, like, such a thing and so terrifying, we never hear them again. Well, at least until the events of this episode are referenced later on. Are they referenced later on? Uh, yeah, because there's the episode in season oh, seven, I yeah. think, when Troy takes her bridge officer test, and yeah. this was her inspiration for it, basically. Continuity! Uh-huh. Yes, and as I remember, the um, the resolution to that plot line was Troy having to learn that, oh, so you actually do have to sacrifice people when you're a commander. I didn't learn that last time. <laughs> no! No, she didn't! <laughs> Oh, oh, one reference from this episode has been in a lot of things is Molly, though. Well, yeah. They didn't forget about her. No, no. 
kind of hard but, to once once they made O'Brien and Keiko main character. Well, or at least one of half of them recurring characters, but Brian, one of the main characters on DS9. I think it helped when they cast the cutest child in the history of Earth as Molly. Yeah. Because, like, why would you give that up? Like, <laughs> no, we need to write her into everything. This is ratings. Yeah, and they kept the same Molly through the whole time there was a Molly. Like, apart from this baby this time, it was the same child actress every time. Star Trek needed more Mollies and less Alexanders. Well, it got less Alexander. I was being like in terms of child actors. Oh. Yeah, but Alexander was on Family Ties. He should have been just fine. What? You know, the show Family Ties? Mm. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. He was on that? Yeah. Yeah, he was the uh, new youngest child that was introduced late-ish in the series. No, which Alexander are we talking about? The, the, the one that's dead oh, the, or the, the other two? The first one? Well, I guess the second one, technically, since there's multiple actors. Wait, what first one is dead? One of the Alexanders is dead. What? I don't remember which one. News to me. Uh, John Paul Stoyer. Okay, that wasn't the main one. Uh, I think he was... Was that Teenage Alexander from Deep Space Nine? No, it was a uh, younger Alexander. I think okay, so one... first appearance Alexander. Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, Reunion. It's the episode he was in. Hmm. I did not know that. So I looked up all three of these kids from Disaster. Uh-huh. And the girl went on to do some acting fairly okay. regularly. The other two just sort of disappeared. As often happens with child actors. But uh, Jay Gordon, apparently, is a, the center of a conspiracy theory, which is stupid. Oh. Uh, that he is actually uh, Dylan Roof. <laughs> uh-huh. The internet is such a weird place. Yeah, it, it makes no fucking sense, but they do look remarkably alike. If I can find that stupid thing again, one second. <clears throat> You know what else we never got a resolution to in this episode? What? Whether uh, Jordy was actually going to go through with singing in uh, Crusher's play. Well, I think he agreed to it. We don't even know if they ever actually made it out of the cargo bay, for that matter. They had to go back out into space. <laughs> yeah, there he is. Just, you know, the only thing we know is that they didn't die of um, radiation or being exploded by uh, rocket fuel. Or of suffocation. Yeah. Boy. Um, yeah, actually, there is a resemblance. Yeah. Uh, there's also, like, ten years of difference of age, so... Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they do look a lot alike. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, what should we do for the next episode? Oh, not Next Generation. Where's the spreadsheet? What ideas did we have? Um, well, we had three Next Generation episodes, one of which we've just done, and a Voyager. Oh, okay. Um, so I guess we're doing Fair Trade. I am down for that. Which was, you know, your idea originally. Um, it's more of Neelix being complex. Which yeah, that's what I was alluding to earlier. I find that Deep Space Nine episodes are hard to find. No, they're on um, Amazon Prime. 
specific episodes to consider because so much of that is just chained in together and the episode descriptions don't give me a lot of clues as what they're actually about. Mm-hmm. Ken, do you have any suggestions? Uh, oh, Ken's still here. Know. Yeah, Ken is here. <laughs> um, I don't know, honestly. I would. Ha- I still haven't really like gone back through the entire series itself. Well, I mean, that's kind of a time sink. Mm-hmm. We've done Move Along Home, haven't we? Yes. Okay, damn. Because we framed that as being a Dungeons and Dragons episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's not wrong. And remember, on another tab of the list, you can see what we actually have done. What about the Muse from DS9? That's a weird episode. It's got Logzana and then uh, Jake being seduced by a succubus. And you're not even exaggerating either. <laughs> That's the wild part. Let's do it. <laughs> so that instead of uh, Fair Trade? We'll put Fair Trade off for a week. Well, two weeks. Whatever. Well, is that season five? I don't know. Four or five. It's a season somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's called The Muse. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah. Not the episode, but the title. Mariposa is Spanish for Butterfly. I don't think that's relevant. New episodes of that one episode of Star Trek are made possible by the support of our excellent patrons. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash tfradio and help support the show. Plus, get early access two weeks before everyone else with new episodes releasing about twice per month. There's also an archive of over 100 classic That One Episode of Star Trek episodes, which you can listen to anytime. You'll find that at tfradio.net.